Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code pseudoarchaeology at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code pseudoarchaeology at liquidiv.com. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Ancient tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Hey, everyone. And welcome back to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, Episode 10. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Ken Fader. And today, we have Part 1 of a special two-part series, an interview with Jeb Carr. Jeb is a bit of an authority on the political and religious contexts and underpinnings of the modern pseudo-archaeology and pseudo-history movement. We expand to reach a variety of topics throughout this two-part special. We hope you stick around for both parts, and hope you enjoy the first part, of our interview with Jeb Carr. Blokes, you will see are a staple of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast. I'm Sarah and I'm here with my co-host Ken. Hi Sarah. Hi everybody. And we today we are uh, interviewing Jeb Card. Hello. He is a visiting assistant professor of anthropology at the Miami University in Ohio. I'm going to let you introduce your primary research because I cannot pronounce that word. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but of interest, uh, aside from your primary research, is also that Jeb works on um, the anthropology of the paranormal. And you also look into a variety of pseudo-archaeological ideas. Um, mm-hmm. So... Why don't you tell us about your primary research, just because I really want to know how this word's pronounced. Sure. Well, I work, I've worked at a couple of different sites. My dissertation work, where I, I continue to work post-dissertation, is on Ciudad Vieja. It's the, uh, saying first is complicated, but we're going to say it anyway. It's, okay. it's the first permanent, that's a better way to put it, the first permanent Spanish colonial settlement in El Salvador, though most people who lived there were not Spanish. They were Mixtecs and Zapotecs and Peels and all that. It's a very early contact site, 1528 to about 1570 oh. in Central wow. America. So think of it kind of like Jamestown in Central America, mm-hmm. um, except probably even more violent. But uh, Wow, all right. Yeah, well, you know, it's a Spanish conquest. Uh, but uh, I work on ceramics there. I work on hybridity. I uh, edited a volume on... Uh, Hybridity in Archaeology as a postdoctoral scholar at uh, Southern, Southern Illinois University Carbondale Archaeology. Can you briefly explain what hybridity is for people who may not know? Sure. Um, I mean, you know, you say hybrid, everybody has a sort of idea behind that, but the sort of this blending, you know, like the fact that you get this. I mean, Ken, you're familiar with like colono wear, that concept. Oh, absolutely. Of, sure. Yeah, okay. blended. And, but the thing is, is that's the obvious stuff where you've got material from 
a tradition from an African kind of technical tradition and a European technical tradition and a Native American technical tradition. And in colonial contexts, that's easy to see. But there's kind of a, a strand of thinking, of kind of theory that looks at that and says, all cultures like that. You know, people say, oh, Chinese food. Wait, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean? Chop suey? Do you mean like actual things that Chinese people eat? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, General Chow's chicken because it is amazing. Precisely. And the thing is, they're <laughs> often very interesting mixes that come out and then they become the new norm. And right. that's true everywhere. And you get into like, you get into like post-colonial theory, like homie Baba working on that. And then like, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to be talking about like ancient aliens. So... But uh, that's some of the stuff I do. Uh, I also work on classic Maya archaeology a little bit. I can't talk about this entirely because I have something in press, but on looking at classic Maya archaeology in El Salvador. Uh, you got a lot of stuff in press, and it all sounds really good. It is all really good. That, that also speaks to my ability to complete tasks or lack thereof. So Was that, was that a hire me pitch? No, that was a why is the stuff in press instead of not being finished uh, line. So, uh, But no. Uh, I have a lot of things going on right now. That's awesome. Okay, so we have you. Uh, Ken suggested that we talk to you, mm -hmm. and uh, Ken had some very specific topics that he wanted to run by you. So I'm gonna turn Ken loose on you. Right okay. Now. All right. Listen, I met Jeb. I guess we met. Was it at the um, SAAs in Memphis in 2012? I guess we may have met. It was. It, I think I met you when you came out to see Brad Lepper's talk on the new work Holy Stones at okay. uh, yeah or no when you Johnson. came out to speak. It's a very small community. Yeah. When you, I'm came, when you came out to speak and gave your uh, ancient aliens and ape women what could go wrong talk. <laughs> right at uh, Sunwatch Village, which is a great place. Oh yeah, but yeah, no, anyway, absolutely. Yeah, but since then you and I have corresponded back and forth. Yes. And and talking about alter, you know, alternative alternative uh, views of the past and. The way I want to start this is that, you know, I grew up in archaeology, you know, in the 60s and 70s, when I think most archaeologists either wanted to ignore this stuff entirely, feeling that, well, if you respond to it, you, you, ri you raise it up in the mind of, of the, in the minds of the, of the public, of the listening Don't public. dignify it. Don't dignify it exactly by responding to it. But those of us who did, um, who thought about this stuff and felt obliged to respond, tended to view things like Von Donegan and ancient Atl and, 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 and lost continents, Atlantis, as silly stuff and certainly an annoyance and something we thought needed a response, but we didn't view it as significant or evil. But, you know, you talking to you and in looking at a lot of YouTubes over the last, couple, the last year or so, there's this incredibly dark undercurrent that now seems to have taken control of what previously had been just sort of silly hypotheses about the past, but now undercurrents of racism and anti-Semitism and just sheer paranoia about conspiracies. And the question I wanted to ask you is, how, when did that happen and why did that happen? The thing is, is on the one hand, I think it's happened not long after the period you're talking about, it began, but it's really kind of grown recently. Oh, On the sure, other yeah. hand, it goes sort of all the way back to the beginning. And uh, I've been listening to the to the podcast. I've been through episode five now. You all just talked about Noah's Ark. <laughs> um, but so I don't know. I, I, I think you've had Andy White on. 
Yeah, he's yes. great. He's coming up and, next, yeah. Okay, so, uh, and he's talking about giants, and, and that ties into a lot of this stuff here. But, you know, we're, when I write about this stuff, I'm, I, when I'm preparing things, when I write, words like theosophy seem to be about every third word in my writing. <laughs> uh, theosophy, Victorian, theosophy, Victorian, fantasy, Victorian, pseudoscience, racist, theosophy, you know, Mad Libs. And, and conspiracy, uh, conspiracy. You gotta have conspiracy. Well, that's what it becomes. See, that's the thing. You didn't really have that back then. So the dark side of like conspiracy, I mean, that goes all the way back. But, you know, that's not new. But the right. melding of all of this, uh, I think, really starts to explode in the last... 30, 35 years, almost 40 years now, but it takes its cues from decades earlier. So for example, let's, let's take one. Let's, let's talk about, I would imagine if we're talking dark things that could at least be accused of like running into anti-Semitism, for example, printing the protocols of the elders of Zion, like some of these books do, uh, that would run in smack dab into the reptilians. Which Tell people run, what that's all about, Jim, right? Because that's become a, a major theme here. Yeah, and you see it all. And you, and bef- but now before I before I get any further, um, I'm kind of taking this. One of these things is that one of my main ideas here is that when we talk about pseudoarchaeology, there often is this: oh, it's fake artifacts, or it's right. misinterpreting Pakal. Yes, but one of the things you find, and I don't think this was as true for von Daniken and company, at least back then. His spiritual or intellectual kids, if you want to put it that way, and his predecessors, it is true that just like archaeology, kind real archaeology sort of forms the foundation for how we think about humanity. Bullshit archaeology kind of – okay, I probably should edit that. Pseudo-archaeology kind (laughs) of forms the basis for pseudo-ideas about – the history of humanity and how mm-hmm. humanity is today. So if you believe in the Illuminati, if you believe in all these conspiracies, pseudo-archaeology has come to end up being the foundation. So, for example, I know a fair bit about like ufology, the UFO community, the people that follow that. It has been eaten alive by ancient aliens. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, nobody was talking very much. It was always there. People would know about it. That's all there is now. And part of it's because it blew up on the History Channel. I mean, let's be honest. Money talks. Right. But it's... Eaten alive in a good way or a bad way? Um, if you're an ancient aliens person, it's fantastic. <laughs> if if you are somebody who, like, wants to say, uh, oh, look, I'm looking at, like, strange lights in the sky and interpreting them as, you know, motherships from Zeta Reticuli 2, not so helpful. Uh, hmm. I am a very skeptical person, so I don't really care. I find it fascinating <laughs> as a cultural student. Right. But it, so it's just a matter, I guess, of what you're selling. And I mean selling in the nicest sense possible, actually. I really do. I think. But um, <laughs> but no. So so reptilians, uh, there was some poll. Oh, God. Some poll a few years ago that like literally asked. They threw in the poll. How many of you think that your congressman is actually a shape shifting reptile person? <laughs> And of course, they got a substantial answer. Yes, well, that not would explain a, hu- a lot. Though. Yeah, not a huge number, but like a, a small core. But if you go around, there is this idea that you can find, and people will say on the internet. When I'm like, well, that's you know, my phone is on the internet. That's, that you have to be a little more specific. But um, of the idea that the people that run society either are or work for 
evil, subterranean, or extraterrestrial, or ultra-dimensional, shape-shifting, demonic, reptilian creatures. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Didn't I see V when I was, you know, alive in the right. 1980s? But the thing is, is that it's actually much older. But you go and, like, example. I'll give you an example. If you go and you Google the term Ubaid, U-B-A-I-D, mm-hmm. that, Ken, what is Ubaid? Well, it's a, a city in a time period in Mesopotamia. Right. It's in the pre-dynastic period in Sumeria. It's, it's basically the foundation of Sumerian civilization. These are the people that gave us the world's first city. This is where so much of what comes from. If you go and you Google Ubaid and you Google image search it, you know what you're going to get? A whole bunch of sites that talk about how these are actually images of the evil reptilians that once ran human society. Is that right? Good. Yeah, I just Googled it. It's the second thing to pop up. I apologize. That's astonishing. No, it's, okay. no, no, I know. it's good to know. I know. No. But because um, they have these little weird bird-looking kind of figurines mm-hmm. and you know, they be, they're, they're like, are these the Sumerian gods? Well, if you're in this group. So that is one section of UFO lore. It's also actually a significant section of uh, ancient aliens, especially when it meets a religious background. Uh, a lot of this ties into that. The thing is, that's a decades-old idea. Now, I know you're going to – I believe you're going to have Jason Colavito on, and he's going to talk all about H.P. Lovecraft and Cthulhu and all these things. So I'm going to try to avoid that. So I'll talk about something else, and I cleared this with him actually. Um, Very small community. But Yeah, it is. But uh, – Is that conspiracy raising its ugly head again? Well, it is a conspiracy. We all, we all back-channel behind – you know. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah. So – You're not supposed to tell people, Jen. Oh, the NSA already knows. But uh, – <laughs> See, there you go. We live in a conspiratorial world. But right. that goes back to the 1930s, to the writings of people like Lovecraft and mm-hmm. his friend Robert E. Howard, the guy who creates Conan, the barbarian. And he created this as a fictional story in the 1930s with right. his story, uh, uh, The Shadow Kingdom, where pretty much what you would recognize if you go and you find videos online, YouTube videos online that have millions of hits. Literally millions. You can find some that only have hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands. I'm pretty sure like 10 people have read my dissertation. Um, <laughs> this is a, a, a fairly not unknown belief system. We can trace it from pop, pulp, pulp fiction and all of that. We can trace how it entered into like pseudo history and UFO mm-hmm. streams. We can trace it through pulp fiction into belief st- uh, streams like we can maybe talk about the Shaver mysteries later and you're like really is this what we this is what we dialed up for <laughs> um, but it eventually enters in with pseudo-archaeology and sort of blends it all together and then you get people like David Icke in the 1990s in reinventing this and no, if you don't know the history of it it just comes out of nowhere but where it starts to really get that dark nasty overtone it's always been there it's always been in this undercurrent Mm-hmm. But in the last 40 years, it's taken on more of one as it started to mainstream, as it started to blend with things like creationism, uh, mm-hmm. certain strands of biblical literalism, which have a political component to them since, they say, 1970. Uh, and as a result, it feels like it has changed pseudo-archaeology. I think what it's really done is it's taken away that sort of – I mean, so Ken, you kind of said that these were sort of silly ideas earlier and kind of a little fun. In a sense, yeah. I mean I think that's 
fun. I wouldn't call them fun, but I think a lot of folks responding to this stuff, certainly in the in the seventies and even into the eighties, were saying, or the the reaction was, well, this is very silly. And if anything, we can use this. If this is a hook to get people interested in archaeology, we'll right. show them real archaeology, and we we will disabuse them of all that silliness. Right. But again, there wasn't this feeling that, oh my God, this is actually dangerous. Oh yeah. I mean, when I when I like look for images for talking about some of this in class, I have to make sure that I'm not getting them from Stormfront. <laughs> Just, yeah. Which is mind blowing. Yeah. But you'll find that. You'll find that. And, and of course, yeah. you know, the more traditional hyperdiffusion, you know, put white people in the Americas as fast as we possibly can stuff, you know, right. that makes sense. But this falls into it too. And we can talk about, I think, why that is. I think it has something to do with authority, modernity, professionalization of archaeology and science. And we can maybe talk about that. But uh, this has blended with some of these, these other ideas, especially things like the satanic panic in the 1970s and on, uh -huh. this kind of very literal demonic idea that, oh my God, we're beset by satanic cults. And there are cults that, uh, you know, run society and they do it for evil secret masters. Well, stuff like reptilians and stuff like pseudo-archaeology, they're made for that. And that's kind of where it came from. Uh -huh. So uh, the thing is, and I guess this is the depressing news, if you want. Yeah, so I'm, I'm like the anti-missionary. I'm bringing the bad news. Uh, have, you, have you heard the bad news? Is the stuff that was silly that Ken was talking about, and Ken, tell me if you think this is accurate, mm -hmm. was – who was it that called this stuff cargo cult science? Was it um, – John Cole at the University of Massachusetts yeah. at, at Amherst. Yeah, and what he means by that is it's sort of – uh, mimicking science. It's, it's yeah, replicating, just, replicating okay. the, the, the the stereotype of what science is. Right. Yeah. You put on a lab coat. You make a radio out of co coconuts. You know that sort of thing. Right. And uh, you know, like on Gilligan's Island, and um, that was what they were doing. Well, think about the value of science. I mean, it, it. You know, people didn't even really use the word scientist in the early 19th century. They were natural philosophers right. and mm -hmm. physicians. Science emerges, it explodes, it transforms the world in the 19th century, good and bad ways. It continues right. that until it kind of hits its height right around World War II and maybe a little later. You know, science. Right. And then things change. And you start to have doubts about science. You have people that look at science in, in the industry that it created. And it's like, this is what's giving us nuclear war. Right, exactly. This, this is giving us environmental degradation and collapse. Alternatively, this is giving us evolution. This is giving us a four billion year old planet and a was it fourteen billion year old? And I know that's I know that's a wrong number. Universe. Thirteen point five. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and you know, and and natural selection. And I don't like that either. And science, from various angles starts to and and frankly sometimes deservedly because sometimes it was a little high-handed to say the least right um oh yeah let's just give these people syphilis not a problem especially if we don't like them for like socioeconomic and racial reasons but um it starts to you lose its cachet go ahead go ahead you don't think some of the earlier frauds though and there was a lot of bad science that was coming out around that time too uh, so. i think there's some well it's it there's some i mean it damaged the credibility of the Fields. I mean, is in, there a particular case you're thinking of? Uh, not in general. I just know that there was, on top of the very, very questionable um, 
uh, like irradiating milk and feeding it to school children uh -huh. kind of experiments. I just, I know that there were some just in general bad science oh, that yeah. was coming out, stuff that was poorly researched, rushed to be put out, wasn't double checked, you know, that kind of stuff. Stuff that doesn't happen as much today yeah. because well, we have those safeguards in place now. Well, you know, Wakefield. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they got that right. anti-vaxxer anti uh, right. anti paper through. And Precisely. That was crap. Well, the funny thing is in archaeology, of course, in pseudo that's what pseudo-archaeologists pseudo love. They love going back to the Victorian era. They love right. the old bad stuff, frankly, because it's before it's a profession. They, right, you know, and it's harder to it's hard in that period to kind of break up the good from the bad because you know methods were still developing back then. Exactly, and you know to be called a professor, all you had to do was basically get a bucket of bucket of paint and paint professor on your shingle. You know, I'm Professor McGillicuddy. Here's like my 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 healing tonics. You know, yeah. uh, and so you you know all these pseudo archaeologists they dress up like Indiana Jones or they dress up like steampunk explorers and they they talk about methods that are almost identical to what you know Heinrich Schliemann was using 100 years ago except maybe a, le a little less dynamite uh, he is a hero to their field oh yeah because he found a he found a myth of course it wasn't right. a myth uh, before the 19th century everybody knew that Troy was in the Troad it just kind of got erased out by scientists going oh it's a a myth. There's gods involved. It can't be real in the early 19th century. Mm -hmm. So I think what happens is, is there is the questioning because of bad science. You know, people look, they start going, oh, look, this is not true. That's not true. And there's also the social stuff, whether it's I don't like pollution or I don't like evolution or any of these. And science begins to lose its cachet a little. You know, not science that makes iPods because that can make you money, but, you know, pure <laughs> science like actual science rather than applied technology. You know, this is not the 1950s. You can't be a white guy in a lab coat, yell atomic something, and have everybody swoon over you. And that's right. not necessarily a bad thing. What I think is happening is this change to, A, a more political conspiracy, and B, often a more overt literalist religious element to pseudo-archaeology is it's frankly kind of like a canary in the coal mine. It's following the larger society, which is unfortunate news. Mm -hmm, sure. um, I think that's one of the things with like these pseudo fields, like ufology, cryptozoology, all these things that are loosely tied to material reality. Uh, they reflect, they're like B movies. They reflect the larger culture in a way that sort of things that have more art to them don't. everybody, Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? 
take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So are you arguing that shows like Ancient Aliens and, and Unearthed America and Search for Giants, are you saying that those are... Feeding. Answering answering a demand that society already had for these kind of shows. I think they are. I think they because I feel like they created that demand. Well, I think they, I think they do both. Crazy there's shows a, out there. There's a feedback. There's yeah, you know. Well, feedback the thing is, amplification. Yeah, once it's on TV, well, look, it's on TV. But I think that they're answering a need that's been gro- not a need a demand that's been growing. But when they do, they then legitimize it. So what do you, what would you argue started that, that demand then? Well, because I feel like it was the media that started that because they're like, oh, let's run with this crazy ass story about a UFO and blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, depend- and then it just snowballed. Well, I think, I think it does. I, I think the, the question becomes, you know, why does the mainstream do it? Um, you know, because can you, we all know that this this stuff has been out there for a long time. It's a question: Does anybody put a put a spotlight on it? Right. And that I mean, I remember watching these shows when I was a kid, oh yeah. so I know they've been around for a while. Oh, I know. I mean, you know, Leonard Nimoy dying a couple, passing out a couple of what was it about a week ago? Yeah. Right. yeah everybody's yeah. on about Star Trek. You know what? I also Googled up in search of. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. I, I, I am the warped individual I am today, probably because of that. You know, <laughs> growing up with that stuff, and uh, that blew up in the 1970s. And so, like, if you look in these fields, for example, like in, you know, the UFO people, during that period when science was being also rejected by critics from other places, like, you know, the, the growth of biblical literalism starting in that period, like the late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey and everything that kind of followed from there, end times theology, the growth of neo-creationism, all of that that, that feeds on from the 70s, they were also playing with these fairly non-sciencey, like, oh, Maybe they're thought forms, which they stole and modified from the Victorian folklorists. Maybe they're extra dimensional. Maybe they're this. Maybe they're not 
astronauts. You know, Ken and I have talked about the whole difference between ancient aliens and ancient astronauts. Right. I think the difference is is that nobody talks much about astronauts anymore. Right. Oh, so there's a, you think there's a difference between the two? I always just lump them together. Well, they well, are. Just, like, it's not, just linguistically. Like, oh, okay. Van Daniken was talking about nuts and bolts spacecraft. Yes. I mean, as, yes. as though there was no evidence for this, at least it was within our universe, uh, our, our, our universe, a reality in which maybe there are extraterrestrial aliens, maybe there are planets that have harbored life, and that life has developed technology, and that technology is more advanced than ours, and they could come and visit us. That th those are astronauts, but aliens implies any one of a number of different things that and it are can not necessarily in this universe. And, and it can imply that. But so, for example, one of the well, alien just means unknown. I mean, that's well, yeah. the basis of the term. Exactly. And the funny thing, though, is that very few people that are, have any of these conspiracy theory ideas about pseudoarchaeology, about where all this comes from, say it's unknown. They all know where it comes from, and. The answer increasingly is that it's demonic. That is, that is that is the answer you increasingly see. So one of the things I, I work in I work in Central America, and this is a whole other topic. But you all may have seen uh, last week the story from a uh, various news sources. And I'm not going to get into that, but uh, you know, lost city of the monkey right. god found in Honduras. Yeah, the Honduras lost civilizations. I got so many articles about that from my friends yeah. and just people in general. And I've, I've actually been a little more involved in that because I know people that work in that region. And I found a couple of days ago a video, which last time I checked it, like 15,000 hits on it, which was like a 20-minute discussion of how this is proof of the Nephilim. Which is which, we talked that, about that with Andy. Yeah. yeah, and you had talked about it before. It's going to keep coming up, you know. This this whole, from a biblical perspective, that there's also, of course, it gets into sort of pseudo Sumerian stuff with with Zechariah Sitchin and his followers. Uh, but this idea of these watchers, these these ancient fallen angels that come to Earth and they breed with uh, the uh, the women of Earth and they create the Nephilim and the most famous, of course, is Goliath, but all these giants and you know. Ken talks about with the ancient astronauts, well, they come down and they do these things. Well, that's pretty much the same story. And, of course, there's a reason because that's where they got it from. But they scientized it. Well, people don't seem to feel the need to science it up anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what I'm getting at, that it's kind of gone back to its roots. That's interesting. And, and well, so oh, – go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying is, that, is part of this that, that science has become – it was increasingly complicated. You know, Jeb, you and I tried to describe what happened in a particular time period in the past. It, it's, it's, it's complicated, and that's the point. But that if instead of all that complexity, you can say, well, aliens. It's, or you know, demons. it's a one word answer. Or demons, if maybe yeah. those aliens are demons, that it seems that that's. That's something that everybody can understand. Everybody knows yeah. what, a, what a demon is. And if it all can be explained that simply, then we all get to join in this process of discovery. Well, you don't, so, need, don't need a PhD. You don't need a lot of training. You oh, never no. have to have dug in an archaeological site. You know what a now, demon see, is. See, I, I feel like that's a failing in the academic and the scientific community, though. It, I understand, obviously, because I come from a field that can get pretty dang complicated when it wants to, but... You know, it's it's if you can't break it down into terms that the average person can understand, I think you're doing it wrong. You're communicating it wrong. You may be doing the science perfectly fine, but you're obviously 
there's a breakdown when it comes to communication part because there's no reason why we couldn't take it why we shouldn't be able to take a complicated concept and explain it to people in a way that makes just as much sense as aliens well, the, because aliens doesn't make sense well, it's just easier to understand will the time spent doing that help you get tenure <laughs> well see i don't have voice. that yeah i don't me personally that's not a goal for me so that's why i'm more focused on yeah. trying to explain things to people in terms that they can understand and that they can take away and explain to somebody else that's that's my goal with the blog is I want people to read my blog, get information and be able to turn that information around and give it to somebody else yeah. and not lose any of the, the facts in between. Right. But I think that's one of the limiting factors. And I think and I, I don't want to get into this too much right now because it would literally open yet another, you know, we'll be here till next week. But uh, I don't think it's any accident that people that we would say are pseudo-archaeologists outside of the field start to emerge roughly around the time of the new archaeology. Mm. Now, maybe yeah. it's a coincidence, but the fact that when archaeology is professionalizing and it's doing very good things and it's worried about like how we're doing things and it's talking to itself more than the public. Right. Oh, look, Eric Von Daniken shows up. Yeah. I mean, which one's the more influential archaeologist of the 1960s? Lou Benford or Eric Von Daniken? Oh. Depends on the circle you're in. But you have a valid point there because uh, if you've read Von Daniken's books, one of his major complaints is that he never is allowed access to any of this stuff that he's accusing people of, oh, yeah. like, accusing of being an alien thing. And it's like, well, and of course you go, well, no, you can't look at it. That's an active archaeological site or that's a valuable artifact you can't just walk it and touch it but it's like well maybe if somebody had taken the time to explain things to him maybe we wouldn't have to deal with chariots of the gods well uh... well jeb jeb you made, <laughs> jeb you made a really important point here though which is as a graduate student especially i read a lot of benford and i gotta tell you there are maybe three people in the world who would rather read benford than eric von Doniken, just in terms of the incredible density yeah. Uh, of of Benford's prose that yeah there's nobody outside of the discipline who's going to read most of what Benford wrote as valuable as that stuff is to people with PhDs in in, in anthropology it was just inaccessible to yeah. anybody outside of the field well and, well and that's where Dietz came in I mean he was trying very hard to make it accessible and that's why his stuff I really appreciate his writing a lot more I mean as a sure, communication. Sure, of course. Well, and, and I honestly think, you know, because uh, clearly the, the strategy of ignoring it and it'll go away has worked, but uh, <laughs> right. I, I, I really think that, and, and, and Ken knows this, we, we have something coming out uh, with the University of Alabama that that talks about this, but we, we really think that the, the thing that has to happen here, my favorite episode of yours, by the way, of the, of the five I've heard, my <laughs> favorite is the genetic disc. And oh, it's, it's for two reasons. It's for two reasons. One, uh, you're all like, this is so crazy. And, and, and Ken's got me on because like, Jeb, he understands crazy people. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm just going, it's not that crazy. Is that, he's, what a, you, he's a participant like, observer of crazy. How about yeah. That? So, so first of all, there's, there's that side, but the other, the main reason I liked it beyond just that, that easy punchline was you all in depth looked at one case and looked at some science that was actually done on it and broke it down. And this, if I had to make an argument for what archaeology has to do, it has to go, look. Look at what your public wants. 
It is not what you want. But until you get them back in your camp, play the hand you've been dealt. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to deal with this stuff. And you could either ignore it or you could maybe actually answer some of the questions the public is asking and then not immediately because I think the most dangerous thing we do or the most the most uh, problematic thing we do when this is, comes up is somebody like a Von Donneken is like, look at this spaceships on, you know, the, the sarcophagus of, of mm. Pakal uh, the second and da, 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 yeah. da, and a minus ago. Oh, that's not true. There are wonderful people. Now, let me tell you about their irrigation systems. <laughs> now, irrigation yeah, systems, and they don't address. Right. Yeah, I understand. They're yeah. not addressing the, the, the glyph. No. They're, they're talking about something completely off topic, which is not what people are asking Yeah, it's like, well, about. science really cares about irrigation systems. You know what? Irrigation systems are great. I just picked that as sort of like a random thing, but that's not what the person asked you. Yeah. And it's often something that is more important because it might talk about climate change. It might talk about sustainability. It will certainly tell us about what happened, but there's a reason that they didn't make Indiana Jones and the raised field system. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very important point. Yes. And, you know, and so that's the problem is, but if you touch this stuff, it rubs off, you know, it, it, it really kind of does. And you end up being the person's like, Oh, this is crazy. Can you decipher it for me? That doesn't, that doesn't come with, that's not a value neutral statement as much as it tries to be. Uh, and, and so there's, there's that side, uh, to it. But, you know, at, at the same time, I totally understand why a, a Middle Eastern archaeologist, a Near Easternist, would not want to deal with, say, this, to talk about the demonic. If you go looking online or in print one, or on TV or pretty much everywhere except in a classroom at a university, one of the ideas you'll find, one of the conspiracy theories you'll find about why the coalition uh, invaded Iraq in 2003 was to get its hands – on ancient, and I'm sure you guys have heard this, ancient Stargate technology. Have you have you heard this? I've yes. heard a version of this, yeah. yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, there's various versions. And this ties into the idea of, yes, possibly aliens, but I've heard that constantly referred to as kind of dealing with demonic stuff. Uh -huh. Or there was kind of a fad in the last few years to say, oh, it's the djinn. Like they're trying to, they're trying to capture a djinn, like a genie. Right. Uh, and all of this stuff. I can understand why a Near Eastern archaeologist who, rather than partying too hard in college, grad students, grad schools where that's for, uh, you know, studied <laughs> and then went and got a degree and took like seven or more years, like reading multiple ancient languages and then, you know, fought like with pointed sticks in an, an arena, which is how we do job searches and, you know, killed a whole bunch of people and then, you know, finally got a job. Doing that to maybe go, you know, maybe I didn't do all that so I could tell somebody that I'm not digging for Stargates. <laughs> I understand that. Right, I know right. why that's the case. But that's what people believe. Oh, you know, quite a few million. And it needs to be dealt with. And so you increasingly see this sort of overlay with world systems that we don't even want to engage with, you know, with these like bizarre conspiratorial like, oh, of course they invaded Iraq because look at these Ubaid figures. They clearly show that there were demonic like underworld reptilians there and their Stargate technology and the secret masters wanted it. You keep bringing up the demonic and I don't know if we can jump topics at this point, uh -huh. um, but I really do want to jump topics. Sure. Because this is the – you bringing this up is probably one of the first times that I have encountered – 
the aliens as a demonic entity thing. Oh my. And that's mainly because I don't spend a lot of time doing UFO. Um, I will joke about aliens every now and then, yeah. and that's usually my little comeback because yeah. – I cannot in any way take the Ancient Aliens series seriously. It, it doesn't even anger me. It just makes me giggle the whole time. So for you to be bringing up this kind of darker side, this is new for me. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's not new for other people as well. So could you, if we can jump topics, sure. could you explain it a little bit more? I mean, basically, um, I, can, I, I can go back on the history thing. I'll get back to that. But I mean, if, you know... You Google you Google this stuff up. You look at it in the print. You will routinely find. All right, let me let me actually give you a better example. Let, okay. let me give you an example that doesn't even touch the the archaeology thing. It's a personal experience, and we'll get we'll then get into the archaeology. Um, I went to the UFO festival in Roswell, New Mexico, in 2002. I've only been there once, and it okay. was I was writing a paper that's never really kind of percolated, and it's it's I've worked in other things on the evolution of crash saucer legends. I have kind of a version of some of it up as, as like six or seven blog posts. It's kind of like a proto-paper thing. Um, while I was there, there, they have their central like museum. It's an old movie theater, the International UFO Museum and Research Center, which has got a very large gift shop. And I, was, and, I was there just a year ago, and, and it's, it's still there. And, they, and they've got a, a lot of folks walking through there every day. And the gift shop? Nice. Oh, God. That's, it makes a lot of money. It's a, uh, and, it's a nice gift shop, yeah. And you know what they didn't have there that they had, I think, when you visited, Ken? What's that? That Pakal replica. The Saturday yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, when I was there, they had this, this I guess, life-size or maybe bigger replica, wooden carving of the Pakal sarcophagus lid. Yeah, that's been added. So okay, that, that, sure. That, that's, that was not there in 2000. I would have noticed that in 2002. Right, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't miss it. Yeah, and so, you know, again, that whole ancient aliens thing and, and a story that you wouldn't think has anything to do with that. So I went there, and they had various speakers. And one of the speakers they were going to have were those people from the Raelians, the, this, that UFO religion that's primarily based out of Quebec and, like, South Korea and a few other places. Uh, that's a new religion, a flying sauce religion. And they're the ones who say they've cloned people and that they believe they're going to get immortality and that their prophet is a half alien. Okay, you get the idea. And the fact that I say that is just terrifying. But... Um, <laughs> The UFO Museum decided to rescind the invitation as far as I understand, which that's kind of an achievement if the UFO Museum thinks you're a little too weird. Uh, they, were given, they were given the ability to give a talk by a group across the street, and the group across the street was named – they're no longer there as far as I'm aware – UFO Alien Resistance Headquarters. It was a storefront church. For a guy, if I remember correctly, was an evangelical. He was from Tennessee, and he had been having experiences that he interpreted initially – this is the 1990s. This is like X-Files days – as um, alien abduction experiences, you know, coming into his bedroom, the whole sleep paralysis thing, you know, just sitting on his chest and the right. nine yards. I mean I wasn't there. I don't know what happened to him, but sleep paralysis. Um, <laughs> and he realized though – that this was actually demonic. And I don't know if you use the word incubus or succubus, but this was demonic attacks. And this is a very common idea. Go Google things like shadow people. You'll find tons of stuff on, online about this. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yes. he then decided, 
I know what to do. I am going to confront it and in this kind of spiritual warfare concept where I'm going to go to the belly of the beast and do the harrowing of hell. He went to New Mexico. He set up a storefront church about all of this. Their symbol was like the Ghostbusters symbol, the no smoking symbol with an alien gray head in the middle. I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that. And, I thought it was a joke. Well, it is. it also is, but he had it. I mean, he had it as well. He sets up across the street from the UFO museum. Like literally across the street. So when the Raelians got the boot, he let them in. I know because I was there. There's a picture of me being missionized at by a Raelian missionary in a church that's built on the idea that aliens are a mask by the father of lies, this demonic conspiracy that gets tied into end times conspiracy, the coming prophecies of Armageddon, the book of Revelation, etc. And I'm like, I don't think an ethno- ethnographic moment is going to get better than this. <laughs> um, wow. But this idea, this common idea that, you know, a very common concept in like certain uh, conspiracy circles is that uh, either the uh, second coming of Christ is going to be created with holographic technology, something called Project Bluebeam, or that it is going to be a uh, sort of alien invasion is going to be faked, and it's all going to be faked by the evil Satan-backed New World Order. And they will then tie this into like these ideas that, oh, reptilians are the aliens, and they were the ancient gods of Sumeria, and you can see evidence in Ubaid, or that the gods of Egypt that were going to like cause problems on the millennium or at two, or you know, the gods of the Maya 2012. In other words, you see the same myth, the same myth that there's the watchers, they're evil, they're they're these fallen angels, they're here to tempt man, they are polluting the bloodline of man by hybridizing it, which is why the flood wiped them out. And in the final days, they're gonna come back as part of Satan's host and you know, lose, you know, spoiler, but uh that's Book of Revelations end time stuff. And these people believe that the modern mask, the modern deception is UFO and aliens, or that they're interpreting demons in the past as aliens. And in reality, it's all demons from other dimensions and demons from the pits of hell and all of that. a different story to the traditional lines of archaeology, the Anarchaeologist podcast seeks the stories and ideas that are often overlooked or not considered real archaeology. Video games, anarchism, and archaeology in the middle of hostile areas. Host Tristan doesn't search under the rocks. He destroys them. Available on iTunes every fortnight. This is so much different from I'm being a kid, growing up as a kid in the 50s and 60s, where the aliens were going to prevent us from yeah. from destroying us, uh, us in, a, in a nuclear holocaust, that they were watching over us, but that they were it was going to benefit us. They were ben- yeah. they were at, at worst benign, and at best they were in fact godlike, and were going to protect us. That's well, you'll find that, you'll find that today too, though. Like, so for example, yeah. So for example, in the UFO community, there is this thing called the disclosure movement or the exopolitics movement that is tried to be this political activist thing, and there's all this baggage with it. But basically, is arguing, <laughs> oh, that is what the aliens want to do, or at least some of the aliens, and then it gets very uh-huh. Manichaean, and there's good and bad aliens. But at least there's some good aliens that are going to do this. But the evil 
like Illuminati inspired world government that is dependent on oil and, you know, is run by Texaco is keeping us from the free energy, is keeping us from the Space Brothers, wants to create, you know, support the military industrial complex uh-huh. and is suppressing all of that. Huh. Yeah, no. Well, that, that's the story I'm used to is the whole aliens and savior story. That's probably because you're more of an optimist than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't run in the same circles yeah. as you do for the whole alien yeah, thing. Yeah, but no, uh, uh, that is that is that you find that you absolutely find that. But uh, UFO people like Jerome Clark, who wrote uh, the big UFO encyclopedia, and I have some right. issues with some of his ideas, but he's a good scholar in many ways, if nothing else. Uh, he talks about the UFO dark side, and this is actually when a lot of this started to match up with pseudoarchaeology. Before that, it was just like, oh, maybe they were here in the past. You know, mm-hmm. that's great. In the 1980s, you start to have, alongside other forms of literalism, kind of nuts and bolts UFO literalism, like the majestic conspiracy, the the Roswell stuff. And that starts to wrap in this idea of, oh, they're abducting people and they're taking them to under a mountain in uh, New Mexico, uh, where the uh, Dulce Mountain, where they're doing horrible hybridization experiments, like crossing people with like lobsters and such and (laughs) doing terrible things to them. Not like eating them with butter, though, if you're going to do that, you might as well. But um, feeding, (laughs) feeding them to the aliens and all of that, which starts to sound really demonic. It starts to sound really demonic until you realize many of the people pushing that idea were the same people who were involved in the satanic panic in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize it's part of this larger kind of populist anti-elite sentiment that began to emerge. And it is just manifesting in various places, but it starts to wrap pseudo-archaeology in because of all of that. The funny thing, though, is they were basically replicating the Pulp Fiction of, like, the Richard Shaver story that invents the UFO or Uh the reptilians that were added to UFO culture from Maurice Doriol, basically ripping off Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft and shoving it into the early flying saucer community in the 1940s and 50s. So that undercurrent's always been there. But because of changing economic and political and cultural sort of winds, people decided it was okay to like have those who were not wearing tinfoil helmets start talking about that after the 1970s. And that, I think, is the big change that's so mystifying. And these are the kinds of things now, if you go onto YouTube and you look at I mean, the, the, the internet has, has, I think, changed – all of the rules of the game to allow this stuff to be disseminated. Right. But th- oh, yeah. these are the these That's are the videos that you don't get hundreds of hits or even thousands of hits, but tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands or millions of hits oh, yeah. of these guys espousing these very dark fantasies, or they don't think they're fantasies, about demons and 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 a- aliens and archaeology. Oh yeah, and and it and it, it you know you mentioned silly and. I don't know if you all know there. You know, there's there's the there's the internet. Was it Rule Thirty Four that no matter what's on the internet, somebody will find it attractive to them? Of course, um, yes. yeah. It, it, it's there's a porn. Of yes, it, yes, yes. Well, I was being delicate, but oh, um, I, <laughs> I think there's an equivalent for conspiracy. I don't know if it has a rule number yet. It should it should be Rule Fifty One. But of course. there you um, go. There you go. I, I don't know if that exists yet, but uh, it does now. Yeah, it's. Um, the thing is, it's true. So, I mean, I remember talking about this with somebody online 
and they were watching something. It was like word association salad, which conspiracy theory lends itself to because apophenia. But, uh, you know, the, the, the scene of patterns amongst things that don't really have patterns, um, which if you can leash that shit to, you know, the scientific method, you can get somewhere. But if you don't, there lies madness. So they, they had said something like, what, are they next going to, you know, talk about the, the impact of the Illuminati conspiracy theory on like, you know, the TV, you know, the cartoon from the 80s, the Thundercats? And I was like, you know what? Um, you haven't Googled that, have you? <laughs> wow. And so there's nothing next... so, so absurd you can't make up that somebody no. has already actually yeah. presented as a serious that's, hypothesis. They're, they're, that's crazy. They're, that's they're next, I mean, crazy, weird, crazy. Their next response five, seven minutes later, once they had started watching it, was, I hate you. <laughs> uh, and I, I was like, I, I don't blame you. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it really does. And so once, once you had, once it became polite to start talking about this sort of literalism, mm -hmm. everything kind of followed. And I think that's what's happened to all the rest of this. It, it, it started to blend together. I mean, uh, example, you know, this is not just pseudo-archaeology. So the, one of the chapters in this Alabama volume that I'm co-editing with David Anderson uh, is, um, is on cryptozoology and other – it's a steampunk science, uh, an anatomy or an autopsy of, crypt, of, of uh, cryptozoology and other fields. It's sort of the – in archaeology, we get into discussions about who gets the right to speak. You know, this whole authority thing you guys have been thinking about. And sometimes – we get into real issues of this. So I'm like, let's take a step back. Let's look at how this happens with other things, with like pseudobiology, cryptozoology, the going hunting for Bigfoot and whatnot. The thing is, is if you haven't paid attention to that, you might be like, oh, there's those guys bumbling around on TV looking for Bigfoot, blah, 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 blah. The reality is a significant chunk of cryptozoologists are doing it specifically to try to overturn evolution. It's a creationist thing. When you hear people going to Africa looking for the Mokali and Bembe in the Congo or the Ropin in Indonesia, these supposed dinosaurs, many of them going and looking for Bigfoot, their motivation is to disprove Darwinism either generally or to hook it into pseudo-archaeological conspiracy theories. For example, the idea that, oh, look, there's a city where supposedly – uh, in Honduras, we're supposedly monkeys bred with people, therefore Bigfoot. Or looking at cone heads, you know, cranial deformation in Peru, that's supposedly evidence of Celts and Bigfoot and Nephilim. And oh my God, am I actually using all these in the same sentence? I was going to say, that's, a, that's throwing a lot on the cone heads. Uh, I, can, uh, I can provide you some links for the show notes if you so desire. I, I do. I do. You will, I, the more show notes, the more links, the better. Uh, you will hate me. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so all of this starts to blend together and you find these in these other sciences. I was just listening to a really good interview about this whole element of spiritual warfare um, and these things called prayer walks where you will have people that will go on – I don't know if you've ever gone on a ghost tour where you go to like in front yes. of a building. What happens on a ghost tour? What happens on a ghost tour? Oh, I love them. Uh, you go to an area. We've got several of them here in Indy. We uh -huh. in the historical neighborhoods, and I I give one downtown myself. Uh -huh. I gave I mean, one in New Orleans uh, to my department once. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, you walk around, and I personally did a lot of research and found the best stories I could come up with. But I was doing it skeptically. Yep. So, yep. but there are people who truly believe the stories, and they will sure. stop in front of a building or take you into a building so you can actually be on the site, and then they will 
tell you the the story of woe of the person and then in, they turn the lights off and everybody starts snapping pictures and you get orbs yep. and you get to hear the ghost uh-huh. and the, you know so yeah i mean it's a lot of fun that is an archetypal ghost tour perfect now what instead of just telling spooky stories everybody went and then they prayed to evict the demons that live inside those places I, you know, funny you should say that because I, I used to go with a, a actual ghost hunting group. Yep. And there was a couple times that they decided that the presence in the house was evil, and they they did. They would do the whole prayer and the smudge sticks and yep. everything. Now so. that's been growing. I mean, it's been there since the beginning. It's very. It's been there since the seventies. I mean, Ed and Lorraine Warren. You know, yeah. all that. But it's been growing, and ghost hunters have talked about this. But prayer walks would do that in uh, you know the 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 example given in the podcast and again we can we can link to this they're like in front of a mosque mm-hmm. or a supposed indigenous site or a freemasonry hall or a gay bar <laughs> and all of a sudden that gets really nasty yeah and mm-hmm. so in this discussion i was listening to they were going back and forth. It was two authors writing and talking about the books that they're putting out on this. And they were like, we don't know where the line is. Is this being influenced by kind of ghost hunters or are ghost hunters being influenced by sort of literalist demonologists? And the answer is C, all of the above. We don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at Fantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash Fantasies. Thanks again for listening. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.